now in him I live. We have the living word of God today. We're going to give you great things so that you can live in Christ. Can you believe it's our 10th week online as a church? I know some of you are getting weary. Some of you are loving it. But we all want things to get back to normal. Let me let you in a little bit on how we've been doing things these 10 weeks. Um, Our first week, we started really small, just one camera. We wanted you to see our Life Change logo and see the people that you know, like me and Andy and Ian up here. And then... And as we progressed, we wanted to just deliver great stuff to you. But the thing that's been the hardest to do is try to figure out what do we need as a church. Uh, Initially, we came out with hope and positivity and optimism, different than the rest of the world, it felt like. And then a couple weeks ago, we thought, you know, we need virtues in the time of the virus. And so we've been focused on these age-old virtues from the scriptures that we all need that are going to help us thrive. And then I think about week three or four of that series, probably a lot of you were like, I don't want to hear the word virus anymore. And so now we're looking and we're talking to our church and we're praying and we think we need to teach you to fish. You know that old proverb, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. That's what we're going to try to do over these next three weeks. And we're going to teach you through the Bible, how to use this resource that's right in front of you, that's on your phone, in your pocket, that's on the screen of your computer, your Bible. We are hopeful that we will soon meet again in person, but until that time, we're gonna spend three weeks doing everything we can to get you back in your Bibles or to teach some of you for the first time how to interact with your Bibles. Um, This is the passage we're gonna use for three weeks. We're gonna dig so deep into 2 Timothy chapter three. you uh, listen as I read the scriptures today. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, of course the man or the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now here's how we hope to break it down over the next three weeks. We're going to take those two verses and spend a lot of time in just a small portion of the verses. Week one, that's today, the Bible, a reliable foundation. All scripture is breathed out by God. Week two, the Bible, it heals, it hurts, but it always helps. That's the profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. And then week three, the Bible's not just for our minds, it's for our minds and our hearts and our wills and our actions and our affections. Week Week three is the Bible. It gives purpose to your life so you may be complete, equipped for every good work. My simple big idea is this. Your Bible is the foundational asset for your greatest possible life. Your Bible is the greatest asset, the foundational asset for your greatest possible life. But is it reliable? That's what we're going to work on today. Let's look at the scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 starts out this way. All scripture is breathed out by God. Okay, first of all, all scripture is the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. How did we get these 66 books? Well, in AD 144, the Church of Rome excommunicated Marcion and continued this sifting process of what was scripture and what wasn't. There was a lie started by a, a teacher named Montanus that said the age of Jesus as Lord is done and over, and now the Holy Spirit is the only God. It was this controversy, which in a lot of ways still pervades till today, that pushed the church to come together and ask further questions 
of their scriptures. Specifically, they wanted to know, was God bringing further or new revelation? Could that revelation be true if it contradicted the things taught by Jesus and the apostles? And could new truth change or add to the basic uh, teachings of the church that they had been feeding on for the past century already? The answer was emphatic and hard fought. The answer was no. And from this, the church came together with what we call the canon of Scripture. What is the canon? Well, spurred by these dilemmas, which were just coming one after the other, the church developed its list of canonical books. And the following are the guidelines for accepting a book into the New Testament when they met. Was the book written by a prophet or an apostle of God? Was the writer confirmed by acts of God? Does the message tell the truth about God? And did it come with the power of God? And then interestingly, was the the book of the Bible accepted then and now, so in the past and in the present, by God's people. These are the marks of canonicity. Canon is a Greek word that means rule or measuring sticks. Stick. And these five questions are used to determine which books measure up to being labeled divinely inspired. They exhibit the marks of canonicity. If you just turned in the table of contents in your Bible and it tells you or you read the little intro of who wrote each book, you'll see that the books were written either by a prophet or an apostle, Ephesians 2.20, or someone with a direct relationship to one. Miracles were a means of by which God confirmed the authority of his spokesman. So like in Exodus 4, you have Moses given miraculous powers to confirm his call. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul teaches that the mark of an apostle is signs and wonders and miracles. Also, truth cannot contradict itself. So agreement with the other books of scripture, old and new, was only logical, as was historical accuracy. If the facts of a book were inaccurate, it could not have been from God. And so we don't get fanciful spiritual truths and incorrect, incoherent historical ones. They've got to match up. This is so unique about the Bible. And then famously and excitingly, The uh, scripture was also confirmed by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in the people who had come together to do this. A key question that these early Christians asked was, was this, what was the original audience's sense? And is there an inner sense from God as we discuss and as we pray that what is written is right and true? What was the original audience's sense? Did they accept the book as an authoritative word from God? Daniel, check this out, who lived within a few years of Jeremiah, called Jeremiah's book Scripture in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. Paul called the Gospel of Luke Scripture in 1 Timothy 5. And even Peter uh, affirmed that Paul's letters happening concurrently were Scripture when he refers to how people try to distort Paul's Scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, what what are the implications of this and is the Bible reliable? Here's some implications. The lost gospels that you'll hear about sometimes on the internet or in fringe groups or when you're talking to someone who has a uh, more of an esoteric educational view of these things. The lost gospels of Thomas and Mary, they are not scripture. The Book of Mormon is not scripture, nor the Quran, and nor are important catechisms um, or prayer books of various denominations. Neither is Dave Ramsey's FPU, Rick Warren the purpose-driven life, anything by C.S. Lewis, a Hillsong worship release, or even the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The 66 books of the Old and New Testament are the Bible. 
And remember, your Bible is the foundational asset for your greatest possible life. But can it be trusted? It can. The Bible is so unique. It's written over 1,500-year span by different kinds of people. Shepherds like Hosea and Amos. Fishermen like Peter and John. Tax collectors like Matthew. A doctor like Luke. A military general like Joshua. At least four of the writers lived in the royal household. The kings, David and Solomon. A prime minister, Daniel. And a cupbearer, Nehemiah. And then the Bible encompasses different literary forms. This is un heard of at this point in history and in all of the major religious writings, the Bible is composed of letters, of sermons, of laws, of poetry and poetic descriptions, simple historical narratives, and then books of praise and prayer and practical sayings and the warnings of the prophets of God. It was written on three continents. The Bible was composed in vastly different settings. Moses, for example, wrote while leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. Jeremiah penned his book while in a dungeon in Israel. Ezekiel composed his work while a captive in Babylon. Apostle Paul wrote several of his letters while on the road and while in a Roman prison. And John the Evangelist wrote the book of Revelation while exiled on the island of Patmos. It's incredible all the different places that the Bible was written. There was obviously, I hope, not one particular place or circumstance in which all of the biblical books were composed. Though many other religions had a certain place where the divine word was revealed all at once, this is not the case with the Bible. The God of the Bible chose and was able to reveal himself in many places and over an extended period of time. It's written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. There are a variety of subjects covered, um, from historical to personal to political to you name it. There are accurate predictions about an as yet unrevealed future. So far, the Bible is batting a thousand percent on its predictions. Bible writers received their message in different ways. And something that is just amazing about the Bible is most of the authors did not know each other. There was no collusion when putting together the Bible or no one person saying, this is how I all got it. And now a bonus thing is though the Bible was written over 1,500 years span by 40 different human authors from various backgrounds who wrote in different languages upon different continents and different circumstances on different subjects, including the unknown future and in different literary forms, these authors, for the most part, did not know each other with a few exceptions. And with, with all of these contrasts in location and in their lives, one would expect something chaotic and disjointed from the writers of the Bible when it was assembled into one book. Instead, it all points to the person of Jesus Christ. Your Bible is the foundational asset for your greatest possible life. Now, I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself with the previous reasons. We've covered all Scripture, but now I want to talk about what it says next in 2 Timothy 3, okay? All Scripture is breathed out by God. What does the Bible mean when it says of itself that it is breathed out by God? It's very interesting language, and it's imperative that we stop right now and consider why is this wording chosen instead of God wrote it down or God said why this language that he 
that the, all scripture is breathed out by God. This is the only use in the Bible that we are aware of, of the Greek word theopanoustos, which means God breathed. Theo, God, panoustos, breathed. Inspired by God due to the inspiration of God. Now, the power of the breath of God is used excitingly in a couple other instances. The power of the breath of God in divine inspiration pervades scripture. God breathed the breath of life into Adam, Genesis 2, verse 7. Jesus, it says in the book of Acts, I'm sorry, at the, uh, at the very end of John, chapter 20, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we hear that the Bible was not written in a normal sort of way when Peter tells us that prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here we see the truths of God, the truths of Scripture described as coming directly from God, not from the will of the writers he used to record them. Can the Bible be trusted? You bet it can be trusted. And the Bible, your Bible, is your foundational asset for your greatest possible life. Now I want to give you some application. What do I do with this Bible that is right in front of me? First thing I want to ask you to do, and I'm going to dig into this in a minute, is accept the Bible. It's God's gift, God's love letter. Don't neglect it. Accept the Bible. Christians want to live off of their teachers, off the books they're reading, off the wisdom of others. You and I are wise to do what God said and to let the word of God dwell richly in us. So accept the Bible as God's main way of communicating to you and as the way to check when, other, when you get other forms of communication through people or prayer or teachings. Put it up against the Bible. Accept the Bible. These are all very similar and they start in the heart and the will, but I want you to move on from accepting to the Bible to committing to the Bible as your spiritual authority. Make a decision today that I can trust the Bible and that God has good for me if I'm to obey and follow the teachings of Scripture. Accept the Bible, commit to the Bible, but I want to ask you to discover the Bible's reliability for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. If you have problems with it, if you have critiques or even cynicism about the Bible, do the hard work it takes yourself to investigate it and see if it be true. Don't rely on what someone else alone tells you is true or is reliable about it. The resources are at our fingertips. Discover its reliability for yourself. You can do this in a scholarly way by looking up different things and reading about different things and checking out the prophecies that have been fulfilled or the historical accuracies that are so unique to the Bible's ancient text when compared to all other ancient spiritual writings. And you can discover its reliability as you do things like apply what seems like nonsense in things like the, the Sermon on the Mount where it says, to humble yourself and you're blessed when you're persecuted 
persecuted. And you should uh, have a humility pervading your lifestyle. And that sacrifice is actually going to cause you to rise in God's economy. When you start applying the scriptures, note, is your life being more blessed or more cursed? And I'm not talking about applying some pastor's version or a legalistic requirement or a list of do's and don'ts. I'm talking about the spiritual grace-filled truth of the scriptures. Accept the Bible, commit to the Bible as your authority, and discover its reliability for yourself. Final application, digest. Digest the Bible daily. To the best of your ability, try to make a daily interaction with God's word as important to you as your food and your water. Will we fail in this? Will we miss days? Or will there be days where maybe we're not super inspired? I'm pretty sure there will be. I know it's happened for me. But once you begin to digest the Bible daily, you'll have this incredible, new, fresh, and real relationship with God. And you will start to get all of those weird things when people say, I hear from God, or God told me to do this. It's not because most of us are hearing voices or having mountaintop experiences. It's because we've chosen that the Bible, God's word, that scripture is our foundational asset for our best life. And so we're not finding that in other people's wisdom on Netflix, in the media, that we take in, we're finding our instruction daily from the Bible. A quick word about that. I used to be uh, in a situation where everybody kind of bragged or touted how many times they read the Bible that week or how many times they had a quiet time or a devotional time that week. And, and, and it used to, I used to just be, feel so guilty because I didn't have a quiet time every day at, you know, at six in the morning with a cup of coffee and all these great insights. A lot of times I would get just kind of weirded out and a little jealous when it sounded like someone was getting so much out of the scriptures and I was just reading and I'd be like, oh, well, it says I need to sacrifice. Maybe I should try that and not having these mountaintop experiences. Can I tell you, digesting the Bible daily is, it's a lot like drinking water or having a meal. They're not always the most amazing drink or the most amazing meal, but sometimes you just need them. And it keeps everything going. It keeps everything working in your life. I like to think about it as like taking an aspirin or an Advil or whatever you like to take when you have a headache or something. I get a lot of headaches from uh, whether it's uh, my contacts or from, you know, staring at my screen or whatever it is. And I'll take an Advil, right? And, and I take it and I don't feel better immediately. In fact, a lot of times I take it and then I just think like, oh, this is really bad. Is it ever going to go away? And then at some point later in the day, maybe an hour later, maybe half an hour, maybe several hours, I'll kind of go, well, wait a minute. My headache's gone. I feel great. There was no moment where it was healed and vanished. There was just this realization later that I took something for my problem and now I feel a lot better. The scriptures I find to be this way. Few are the times when I hear a sermon or read for myself and have an epiphany and have a beatific vision of God. What's more often is I read something challenging in the scripture and especially if I start my day that way with no agenda other than God, speak to me through your word. I will find hours later that I had the power to forgive instead of hold a grudge. 
or I'll find that I have energy and a good attitude where I should be tired and frustrated and hard to deal with. Like an aspirin or a Tylenol or an Advil, I took that pill of God's word and as it got into my system, it did its work and it produced life change. Accept the Bible, commit to the Bible, discover its reliability for yourself and digest the Bible daily. Now, Colin is gonna help us with that this week and through this series. He's gonna do a uh, guided Bible study with you on our YouTube and Facebook page this, uh, each week that we teach about it to kind of show you or remind you how to dig in to God's word. I do have a final amplification of one of my applications or truths today. I want you to hear this, especially for all the extra people that are watching in this COVID-19 YouTube church era. The Bible will not make sense to you until you confess your sin, call Jesus Lord, and humble yourself before God. I vividly remember when I was exploring and investigating the Christian faith, I sat down on a little trip in my sister's backyard in Redondo Beach, California in the late 80s, early 90s, and I tried to read the Bible. I was seeing people around me, in my family especially, who seemed to have a genuine connection to God. I was very interested in Jesus. And I sat down one day and I said, I'm gonna read the whole Gospel of Matthew. I tell you, it made no sense to me. I tried to read the simple parts. I didn't start in the book of Leviticus. I just read the simple narrative of Matthew, I believe. And it was like reading riddles. It was like I had some kind of learning disability that I'm pretty sure I didn't have. And then fast forward a couple years later, after I had opened my heart to God and confessed my sin and did one of the hardest things I ever had to do, which was admit that I was a prideful, arrogant sinner in need of a sacrificial and selfless savior. And once I did that, every time I would open the Bible, after finally succumbing to God and to the truth about Jesus Christ, every time I would open the Bible, every time I would hear it preached, every time I read it, every time I came into contact with it, the meaning became as clear as day. The Bible's power is hindered by a prideful and arrogant heart, but the Bible's power is locked and loaded and ready to fire into a humble heart that says, Lord, you know what I need better than I do. Lord, you know what I need, you know what I need to do, you know who I need to be, and you know what I need to want. Let me open up your word, Lord, and understand your heart. I wanna remind you, your Bible is your foundational asset for your greatest possible life. Can it be trusted? Yes. Trust in the Lord, my friends, and in all your ways, acknowledge him. Do not lean on your own understanding and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord instructs those that he loves as a father does the child he delights in. Your Bible is your foundational asset 
for your greatest possible life. Let's pray together. God, as we enter into a time of worship, these songs have the words of God all throughout them. As we've now studied and looked at whether the word is reliable or not, may we now with joy and with enthusiasm and with faith sing these words of God that have been set to music and may our hearts take flight and be joyful and reverent as we do it. It's in your name we pray, amen.